Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. We're starting a new series today called Carols. And if you've been around Summit for a while, this might sound familiar. We actually did a series in 2015 during Christmas called Carols as well. And what we do during this series is we'll take some Christmas carols that maybe you know, and we will, uh, we will lift the gospel truths out of those and talk about them. Uh, because there are some Christmas carols that are not nearly as spiritual as others, um, and not nearly as doctrinally correct as others. Um, but what we're doing is just taking some of these and using these as a platform to talk through the gospel together. Um, and so this weekend, I get to share one of my very favorite Christmas songs with you. Um, and you might know it. It's called Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer. It's a classic. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just joking. Some of you are like, ah. okay, no, he's not actually going to do that. I'm not actually going to do that. Uh, my favorite Christmas carol is actually a song that, uh, called Oh Holy Night. It was written in 1843. Uh, it was written actually to commemorate, there was a Catholic church in this small town in the south of France, and the priest of this local parish wanted to, um, he wanted to commemorate, the, the celebrate this opportunity they had. They had um, renovated, they had rebuilt their organ. They had, a, they had redone it, and so they were celebrating this event. And he commissioned this man in their community, a pretty well-known poet, to to, uh, to write a poem, a Christmas poem. And a few years later, it was set to music. This was in 1843 when it was written. It was set to music in 1847. and 1855, it was translated into English. And it became very popular pretty quickly in the United States. Um, and it's interesting because it, it was especially popular in the northern part of the United States. Abolitionists uh, really grasped hold of this song. And if you know the song, uh, I'll read verse three to you. In the third verse, it says, truly he taught us to love one another. His law is love and his gospel is peace. Change shall he break for the slave is our brother and in his name all oppression shall cease. So you, you may be able to imagine why this wasn't terribly popular in the slaveholding South, right? Uh, they probably didn't put this one at the top of their Christmas carol list, uh, but they loved this song in the North especially. It was very popular. And I will say, uh, I love the lyrics. I love the tune. And I've never heard a version of this I didn't like. I've heard bluegrass versions where they're picking it on, you know, a fiddle and a banjo, and I love it. And I've heard versions, Josh Groban, and this is the only Josh Groban tune I have in my playlist, by the way. I just need to put that out there. <laughs> I get to keep my man card intact, right? Um, but I, I just, I love this song. And uh, it means a lot to me, and so I wanted to start the series with this song uh, today. So the lyrics of this song are, Oh, holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of the dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Fall on your knees, oh, hear the angel voices, oh, night divine, oh, night when Christ was born. Now, he sets the tone, he sets the, the, the stage, he, he paints this picture of a, of a night where the stars, it's a clear night, the stars are shining, and he describes it immediately as the night that Jesus was born. And he says, long lay the world in sin and error pining. 
Long lay the world in sin and error pining. Now, pining is a word we don't use a lot today. Uh, the, the, the definition of pining, according to de- dictionary.com, and it must be true because it's on the internet, so it says, to suffer a mental and physical decline, especially because of a broken heart. To miss and long for the return of. And this, this word is commonly used with this idea of lost love. Um, uh, the one that got away, the, the guy or girl in your life that you are longing for the return of. You've lost them somehow. And when I think of this word, uh, I don't have a lot of like teenage angst built up in me from my, when I was younger. Um, my, my sister was, uh, she was more social than I was to some degree when we were in high school. She's five years older than I am. And, um, and I don't know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make myself sound pretty old when I say this. Does anybody remember life before cell phones? There's a section of college students that are like blankly looking at me. Like, I have no idea what you're talking about, Mel. What is this life before cell phones? Okay, life before cell phones. I didn't have a cell phone until Kim and I got married, okay? So uh, that was the first time we had a cell phone. Before that, for those of you that are younger, um, you only had phones in buildings, and sometimes they'd have a tiny building on a corner that they would also put a phone in, like a phone booth. And you would go in this tiny building and close the door behind you and make a phone call. But you didn't carry phones around with you. And so one of the worst things that could possibly happen is if you were following somebody in a car and you didn't know where you were going, but they did, and you somehow got separated, that was the end of your road trip. <laughs> there was no calling to see where they were at because they didn't have a phone and you didn't have a phone. And so it's like, well, I guess we're going home. I guess that's the end of this. And that was all, right? Uh, now you've got cell phones and you can text each other. And I don't know where I'm going. Um, you know, text me the address. Or if you're really unsure, you can pull up Snapchat and find somebody's location because they share it with you. And you can look and go, oh, that's where they're at. So if somebody was supposed to call you and didn't call you, there was a lot of question. Now, I was not a big user of the phone. I was not a phone talker very often, but there was a young lady in my life, very special. And I'm gonna talk about this today. I hope my wife doesn't get too jealous. Her name was Angie Rose. And Angie, at that point in my life, was was it. Imagine me, a little younger, actually, third grade, And I thought Angie Rose was the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen, ever. And we exchanged phone numbers. And I was pretty excited because we were supposed to talk. And here's the deal. Um, Back in the olden days, this is pre-call waiting. Does anybody remember when call waiting happened, how revolutionized families? Because before call waiting, um, you know, like I would pick up the phone to call my buddy and I would start dialing and I would hear a scream in the other room, get off the phone, I'm on the phone. And oh, sorry, and hang up, you know, sorry. And you had to take turns, you had to wait, you had to, all this stuff. And so I decided I'm gonna call Angie Rose. I got her number, got her number. I'm calling her, I called her. No answer. It rang and rang and rang and rang. And back in the old days, they didn't have voicemail. They had an answering machine, which was literally a machine with a tape that would go in it. 
right? Old school. And no answering machine either. And it just rang and rang and rang. I was like, what am I supposed to do? Do I call back? Because then if I keep calling back and they're there but not answer for some reason, I'm going to sound like a psychopath. Like, I'm going to sound crazy. But like, have you been calling for the last 20 minutes? Yeah, I just didn't know if you were there. Like, that sounds needy. Even as a third grader, I was like, I know better than that, right? So I called a couple times and stopped. And then I just waited. I guess Angie's going to have to call me back. And I waited. And I waited. And I waited. And, and if you are old enough, if you're my age or older, you remember this moment. If you're waiting on a call and you're not sure if the call is coming through, you think maybe the ringer's been turned off. And you pick up the phone, hello, hello? No, no, the Nobody's there. And you hang up. And you're like, I wonder, maybe, maybe the line is down. Hello? And you listen. And you, oh, I got a ringtone. Okay, no, no. Like the phone company's still in existence. So it's, okay, that's good. You're waiting for somebody to call. You're, you're pining away, waiting for that person to call you back, waiting for your true love to come back, whatever it might be. And it's so interesting to me that we use that word here, that they were pining, that long lay the world in sin and error, pining, because in a very real sense, this is what the world was doing. The world was waiting on a savior. See, there was 400 years of silence between the time of the prophets in the Old Testament to the time that Jesus arrives on the scene. There was 400 years where people didn't hear from God. And so there were a lot of people who were waiting on a savior who got tired of waiting. And they started to give up hope. They'd started, people, literally people were born and lived and died without ever hearing from God in the way that we would think of it today. And so people had been waiting and waiting and waiting. And in a very real sense, the world was pining after God. There was this deep longing in the soul of human beings. Even if we don't recognize we need a savior, there was this deep longing in our souls for more. There's gotta be something else. And the world was longing for a savior. It was pining after him. And the song goes on to say, Till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. And one of the things that's interesting to me, we've talked a lot about identity in the past. And one of the things that's interesting to me is I really do believe that until I understand who Jesus is, I can't understand who I am. See, we, we spend a lot of time trying to figure out who we are and my identity. But the reality is um, I am no one outside of Christ. Christ is the filter by which I can identify who I am. That's who I can, how I can figure it out. And so we see in this song, it says, till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. In that moment when Christ shows up, when we have an encounter with Jesus that's authentic, what happens is we recognize our own intrinsic value. We see who we really are. We see how we're valued, not by the world's standards, but by God's standards. We, we recognize our soul's worth. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. For yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. And I'm a firm believer that we don't use the word yonder enough in normal language today. I really do believe this should make a comeback. I might be the only one, but I just think, somebody says, hey, what are you up to today? Oh, I'm going, going out. Where are you going? Yonder. <laughs> it's specific and vague at the same time. I'm not gonna be here. I'm not even gonna be there. I'm gonna be yonder further out. That's where I'm going. This is a thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. So the world rejoices because of a new day. 
And that's the interesting part of this song. This song really isn't a celebration about the night at all. It's called Oh Holy Night, but it really isn't about the night. It's about the Savior. And it's about the fact that because the Savior lives, tomorrow is different. It's a celebration of the fact that tomorrow is coming because of Christ. It's going to be better because Christ is present with me in tomorrow. Does that make sense? In the midst of our darkness, in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our loss, in the midst of all this, tomorrow will be better because Christ is there. This new day is dawning. In Luke chapter one, um, Zechariah is the father of John the Baptist and his wife is cousins with Mary, uh, the mother of Jesus. And they are pregnant at the same time. And, uh, and John the Baptist's mother is pregnant. Zechariah, his father, he is struck mute. He can't speak during this pregnancy. And he finally gets his, his voice back when he writes John's name down. They said, what should we call him? And he writes the name down and he gets his voice back and he begins to prophesy over his unborn child. And part of that prophecy is found, um, well, it's found in its entirety in Luke 1, but I'm gonna read part of it right now. This is in Luke 1, 76. This is Zechariah prophesying over his unborn child. He says, and you, my little son, will be called the prophet of the most high because you will prepare the way of the Lord. You will tell his people how to find salvation through forgiveness of their sins. Because of God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death and to guide us to the path of peace. And he's talking about Jesus. Jesus is about to come. He's about to arrive on the scene. And when he does, he will bring light. Now, we don't value light the same way they did then because we have it so easily. If this room was darked out and the windows were blacked out, we would have light because we'd all pull out our cell phones and the flashlight on our cell phone, right? We have light, it's easily accessible. If you think back to this time, they had candles. So they had to work by light of the day. Their life in many ways stopped when the sun went down and it began when the sun came up. And I'm telling you, this is a metaphor for our lives, that our spiritual lives, when Christ came, when the sun came up, we came to life. And this is what Zechariah is saying. There is one who's coming, who's going to bring light and life to the world, and that we that who sit in darkness will be in darkness no longer. See, it's this incredible celebration of Christ. Because when Christ comes, this new day, it brings something to us. And there's a couple things I want to point out. A new day with Christ brings two things. Number one, brings the hope you need. My favorite line in the song is, the thrill of hope. A weary world rejoices. For yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. A thrill of hope. I just love that line. It says a weary world rejoices. If I was going to describe our world in which we live in today with a word, it might not be weary, but weary would be near the top of the list. You talk to just about anybody. People are worn out. People are tired. We're weary. We're weary for all kinds of reasons. I think one of the reasons, though, we look at all the things going on in our society— um, all the tension with vaccines and COVID and variants and masks and all the stuff 
And you, do you remember when you used to think it would come to an end at some point? I remember when it all started in March of 2020. And I, I remember telling the staff, two weeks, we'll be shut down for two weeks and this thing will be over with. <laughs> two years later, right? Here we are. And we're like, oh, oh, what do we got now? Now we got Omicron. Omicron. And I am convinced that we have run out of names and now we're just using transformer names. <laughs> like, it is the Megatron variant. It is next. And the Optimus Prime variant is after that. And there's going to be another variant. It's going to happen. There's just more. And so what happens is we get worn out, right? We get exhausted. There's just more things, more stuff, more things to be worried about, more things to be concerned about. There's more anxiety, more pressure, more tension in our lives. And people are worn out. People are weary. It reminded me of a passage of scripture. In the book of Lamentations, we don't preach from Lamentations very often, but in the book of Lamentations, it was written around 587 BC. It was around the fall of Jerusalem. So Jerusalem falls, um, the, the, the natives are taken captivity. They lose everything they love and know and value, and they are heartbroken. And the writer of Lamentations says this in Lamentations 3.19. He says, the thought of my suffering and homelessness is bitter beyond words. I'll never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss. Maybe you felt like that before. Maybe you feel like that right now. I, I love the honesty here because he doesn't, he doesn't sugarcoat it. Um... I think sometimes in church we think we have to whitewash stuff. We can't be honest about the pain we're really in, so we just put on a smile and everything's great all the time. Everything's awesome. No problems. Oh, my life is good. But we are hurting inside. And I think we feel like it's a lack of faith to be honest about where we're at at times, that we're suffering or that we hurt or that we're dealing with failure, whatever it might be. But I love the fact that the writer of Lamentations just lays it out there. He says, this stinks. I'm in pain. I've lost what I know, what I love. I'm grieving. I'm hurting. This is the way it is. And it's okay for us to feel that way, but it's not okay for us to set up camp there. We, we cannot drift to that place and reside there. One of the things I've come to know is that we lose hope when we meditate on the wrong things. When we meditate on the wrong things, our hope evaporates. When we meditate on the 24-hour news cycles that tell us over and over and over again, you've got reason to be afraid, our hope begins to disappear. Now, I want you to hear me. COVID is real. People I know and love have, have died with COVID. It has caused their death. Um, people in our church it is real. But, but fear has infected more people in our church and in our community and in our world than COVID will ever touch. It has infected people in such a way that it has gotten on our minds because we keep watching the news. And the news is really good at what they do. The news's job is to keep you watching the news. That's, their, their job is not to inform you. They're paying their bills. And the more eyeballs that are on their news, the more money they are making. 
So they want you to keep watching. And there's a, a phrase in the news that says, if it bleeds, it leads. They want the most carnage possible because the worse something is, the, the more we're gonna watch it. If you don't believe me, <laughs> have you ever been in traffic and you realized why traffic was stopped? It was because there was an accident. It wasn't even blocking traffic, but it was all the people who were slowing down. Why were they slowing down? Let me give you a hint. It was not to pray for the person as they were driving by. Lord, I pray you'll bless them in the name of Jesus, right? That's not what was happening. People were slowing down going, hey, what happened there? Look, hey, oh my gosh, that one looks bad, right? We do this because we're attracted to it. Like we want to see, there's this curiosity in us and people that produce the news know that. So like, how can we keep people watching? And the way they keep us watching is show us the carnage, show us how bad it is. Not just with, COVID and all those kind of things. How about the economy? How about everything else? The housing market. The housing market's great, but it might be horrible. It might fall out at any time. There's all these things that, that what do we do? We see this stuff over and over and over, and we listen to it over and over and over, and before we know it, we don't understand why we're so worn out. Why am I so tired all the time? Well, we're tired, we're weary, and we begin to lose hope because our hope evaporates when we meditate on the wrong things. Let's make this a little more personal. Um, maybe you've personally experienced failure and disappointment and heartbreak. Maybe you've been betrayed and hurt. And hope will evaporate in our lives when we meditate on those wrong things too. When I think about how I've been hurt by people and I meditate on that and I keep playing it over in my head, replaying it over and over and over, and I should have done and they shouldn't have, I'm a victim and I've been hurt and how could they ever? Hope disappears. I become a captive to that moment. And so many times that's what we've done. We lose hope. And we lose, lose our lives and our vibrancy because we've been meditating on the wrong thing. Let me read the next passage to you. This is also in Lamentations. Same writer who just got done saying how he's suffering and how he's homeless and how he's hurting and how he's grieving. Listen to what he says in verse 21. I want you to hear this. Yet I still dare to hope when I remember this. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance. Therefore, I will hope in him. I wish that was me all the time. He says, I can get hung up thinking about the wrong things, meditating on the wrong things. I can get hung up in my feelings and in my emotions and all the stuff. But he says, that's not where I stay. So if, if meditating on the wrong things leads to hopelessness, the opposite is true. The key to hope is meditating on the right things. And this is what the writer of Lamentation says. He says, I'm going to keep remembering the right things. I'm gonna experience hope because I'm gonna remember who God is. I'm gonna remember what he's done. I'm gonna remember how he's rescued me, how he's helped me, how he's come alongside me. I'm gonna remember how faithful he is. That's why I've got reason to hope. Not because my circumstances are awesome, not because my life is heading in the right direction, but because I can trust God. That's where real hope is found. That's the thrill of hope. It's found in Christ, not in 
the promotion at your work, not in you getting in the right club or the right social group or having the right friends. None of that stuff matters. What matters is who am I trusting? What am I meditating on? That's what builds hope in a weary world. The scientists say we can live 40 days without food, eight days without water, four minutes without oxygen. And you might argue with me, you know, I can do four and a half. That's fine, whatever. But realistically, how long can we live? I mean, really live without hope. I think there's a lot of people, even people who consider themselves Christians, who have lived without hope for a long time. They, they are inhaling and exhaling. Their heart is pumping. They are technically alive, but they are not living because they don't have hope in them. They have for too long meditated on the wrong things and they've gotten tired and weary and they've lost hope. Just like we need oxygen, just like we need food, just like we need water, we need hope. We need hope for our souls to live. And I'm telling you, there is hope in Christ Jesus because of the new day that dawns. We have the thrill of hope. The second thing we have is the hope that you're seeking. Psalm 46.1 says, God is our refuge and strength, always ready to help in times of trouble. And this is a great verse. This is a verse that's a cornerstone of churches. That God is a God. He helps. He is our friend. But I also know that there are people sitting in this audience, watching online, sitting in Blairsville that might be thinking, yeah, but where was God when I needed help? Because I needed him and he didn't show up. I needed him and he didn't do what I needed him to do. So what now? How, how can this verse be true? Well, first thing I would tell you is maybe God's help is still on the way and you just haven't waited long enough. I'll come back to that thought in a second. The other thought is, have you actually gone to God for help? Let me read this verse to you. Hebrews 4.14 says this. So then, since we have a great high priest talking about Jesus who entered heaven, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he has faced all the same testings we do. Yes, he said not. Aren't you grateful that God, that Jesus understands our weakness and he gives, makes allowance for that? He understands that we're gonna be imperfect. Verse 16, so let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Let us come boldly before the throne and we'll receive mercy and receive grace to help us when we need it most. See, what we need is that grace to help us. But here's the issue. I, I talked to somebody the other day and they said, Mel, I, I, I don't have any problem praying for other people, but I have problems praying for myself sometimes. And if, if I was guessing, I would guess that there are people probably on either end of that spectrum, people that only pray for themselves or people that really struggle to pray for themselves because they feel like it's selfish. And I think for so many people, we will try to fix our problems. We'll try to figure it out. We'll try to work it out. But we don't want to take it to God. 
Because we go, well, he knows, and he does know. But he, he wants us to understand that we need to need him. Um, and he desires for us to cry out and go, okay, God, I need you. I can't fix this. I've tried to work through this. I've tried to figure it out on my own. I can't. I need you. It's, it's difficult when we make God look like us, but I think there's some truth to this. When my girls were little, um, there would be times when I would be like, you want to you come to me? You want to come to daddy? And they would reach for me. And I would be like, oh, Kim, I'm sorry. Like, I, they weren't choosing me over you, but inside I was like, <laughs> right? And if you're a grandparent, you know this moment where you're, the grandchild reaches for you instead of mama, and you're like, oh, I'm sorry. But inside you're like, yes, they like me more. I really do believe there's something to that in the heart of our father whenever we go, okay, God, I need you. And God goes, yes, they recognize they need me. It's not a selfish desire on God's part. He knows that we need to need him. So when we choose him, when we go to him with our needs, I think there's something in him that responds to that. I read Lamentations chapter three to you a moment ago. Let me read the next couple verses after that in verse 25. It says this, the Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. I hate waiting. Is there anybody else you hate waiting? Good. Nine o'clock service all lied. They're like, nobody raised their hands. They're like, no, I'm good. I'm like, you liars. I hate waiting. Uh, especially, especially if I have um, an urgent need. Like if I've planned my schedule badly and I'm trying to get over across town to get to a meeting and Emma knows the pain of this, like I'm supposed to pick her up from school and something's gone a little long here and she'll text me and I know what the text is before I even read it. Like, dad, where are you? It's like, oh, I'm late picking up Emma. And so there's this urgency in me. And, and I don't know about you. Have you ever been at a light and you're behind someone and the light turns green and you realize in that moment, like, oh, I'm following the Grand Marshal of the Rose Bowl Parade right now, like they're going two miles an hour and you're like, please just go, right? Why? Because you've got a need. I've got a need. I need to be there. It is urgent. I don't want to wait in those moments. And this is what we do with God. We go, God, I've got this need. Here's what it is. And God goes, cool, I got this. I go, all right. When, when do you got this? Can you tell me like next week or today or like, is it done? Who, can you, God doesn't respond. Hello, hello, God, God. Can, can you, if you'll just tell me when, it'll make it easier. If you'll just tell me when you're gonna take care of this. But God doesn't tell us. And, and this is where trust comes in. Because most of us don't want to wait because the reality is we don't really trust God. We go, God, I, this is really important. I need you to take care of this. And God goes, okay, cool. I got this. Just trust me. Like, okay, I do trust you. But I don't know how much I trust you. Maybe if you just give it back to me, I'll take care of it. I'll get it sorted out. And what happens is our trust issues interfere with letting God do the work that he wants to do. Remember what we said earlier that the world was pining 
We were in sin and error pining for him. We're waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. And this isn't a new theme for us. Throughout scripture, we see this idea of waiting for God to work in the way that he wants to work. In John chapter 11, Lazarus died. But before he died, they sent word to Jesus and said, Jesus, you need to come help. You can perform a miracle. He could be healed if you just come. And Jesus waited. He literally waited till after he died to go. And he gets there, he'd been dead for four days. And this isn't exactly how the conversation went, but it's something like this. Jesus, why didn't you get here sooner? Jesus, we asked you to show up and you didn't show up. If you would have been here, this wouldn't have gone like this. And let's be honest, we've all had those conversations. God, if you would have done what I asked you to do, I could have avoided this. God, if you would have answered that prayer, I wouldn't be in this mess right now. And Jesus had told his disciples earlier, hey, this is for God's glory. So Jesus stands there. He, he weeps over what's happening. He calls Lazarus out. Lazarus is raised from the dead. It's incredible. And he said, this is for my glory. You had to wait. I'm gonna answer this prayer, but it's not gonna look like you asked for it to be answered. And you're gonna have to wait longer than you would like to wait. But it's for my glory is what he ultimately said. In, in Matthew chapter nine, there was a woman with an issue of blood and then she had a hemorrhage where she was bleeding for 12 years. She had gone to doctors and surgeons and specialists and she had only gotten worse instead of better. Her life was a mess because of what she was dealing with. And she pressed through the crowd and touched the hem of Jesus' garment. In that moment, she was healed instantly. And we see the healed instantly part. What we don't see is the, the 12 years of pain and sorrow and heartache and isolation and all the things she had to go through to get to this point. She waited 12 years for her healing to happen. Do you think she was praying during that time? Probably. But she had to wait for her healing. We see another story. In John chapter five, there's a, a man. Let me, let me just read this to you. John chapter five, it says, afterward Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days inside the city near the sheep gate was the pool of Bethesda with five covered porches. Crowds of sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed lay on the porches. One of the men laying there had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw me, knew he'd been sick and ill for a long time, he asked him, would you like to get well? Which is a legitimate question. Would you like to get well? And he said, I can't, sir. For I have no one to put me in the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. So what he says is, um, tradition says that an angel would stir the pool and the first person in the water as it was stirred would be healed. And so all these people who were in need of healing, who were waiting on their healing were there at this pool. And Jesus asked this man specifically, he's 38 years old. He'd been paralyzed his whole life. He said, do you want to get better? And he said, I, I need help. I need help getting in the pool. He didn't understand that he needed help being healed. He thought his healing was in that pool. And he said, I need somebody to shove me in whenever the water stirred, right? Here's what I need. Here's what I'm asking for. Can you stand here and push me in? He was asking for the wrong thing. The healer was standing there. But he was, he was asking for a different kind of help. 
Do you think at any point in that man's 38 year life, he had prayed for healing? Probably. Jesus heals him. He says, pick up your mat and walk. He picks up his mat. You know what scripture doesn't record? He picks up his mat and turns and looks at Jesus. What took you so long? 38 years, right? Never did that. Do you know what he did? He celebrated. I can imagine him dancing his way and so he's, you know, whoo, whooping and hollering. And he gets in trouble because it's the Sabbath and he's carrying a mat. He doesn't care. He didn't mind that he had to wait 38 years because he got what he needed. He didn't get what he wanted. He got what he needed. And so many times we pray and then God gives us what we need and not what we want. And that's the real answer to our prayers. Too often we're not willing to wait. See, one of the things that's interesting about O Holy Night is this. The author of this poem was was an atheist. (laughs) It's crazy. He, He writes this poem about Jesus. He knows all about him, but he doesn't know him. He writes this poem about a savior, but he doesn't even know the savior. And that's what it comes down to for us today is the fact that it's not enough to have some facts, some knowledge in our life. We have to know personally the savior. We've, we've got we've to have what we have access to which is intimacy with God. See, this is what humanity was pining for. We were pining for and longing for what we had originally, what we had lost. And what we had lost was in the garden. In the garden, Adam and Eve, they they communed with God personally, face to face with God. There was intimacy in relationship. And what Jesus did when he arrived, when he paid his atoning sacrificial price on the cross, when he rose from the dead, what he did is he separated. The divide between God and man was gone. It was torn asunder. Now there is intimacy between God and man. God with us. That's what Christmas is about. And I'm telling you, we can have intimacy with God. We can know him and he can know us. That's really what this song is about. The hope that comes from knowing Jesus. But if you don't know Jesus, you can't really experience hope. Real hope that we need. So I want to give you that opportunity today. Hey, right now I'm going to turn it over to our host in Blairsville. They're going to close out the rest of this message and they're going to give you an opportunity to respond. I want you guys to know I love you more than you know. And I am so glad that I get to be your pastor. God bless you. And we talked about a lot of different things today. Talked about waiting on God. Talked about hope in Christ. What we meditate on. And I would tell you again, I want to remind you. Hope is cultivated in our lives when we meditate on the right things. So what are you feeding yourself a diet of in your mind? What are you thinking about? What are you meditating on in your everyday life? Is it the right things or is it the wrong things? The only way we can wait well for God, wait on his help that we're asking for, is to have hope. That's the only way we can wait effectively for the Lord is if we have hope in him because we can trust him. We know he's a God who keeps his promises. We know he's a God that's true. So if I need to wait a little longer, I can. 
If I need to wait four days, I can. If I need to wait 12 years, I can. God, if I need to wait 38 years, I don't want to, but I have a hope in you that if I need to wait 38 years, I can. That's the only way we can wait. So I wanna challenge you in that today. It all begins with our relationship with Christ. So if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, you've never surrendered to his lordship, to his kingship, today is your day. I'm gonna give you that chance. So if you would, bow your head and close your eyes over this place. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you that we have hope in you, real hope. A hope that will sustain us. A hope that will buoy us. So God, I pray, number one, for those who don't know you today, let today be the day we discover real hope when we discover you. When we see your beauty and your goodness and your kindness, I pray that that would draw us to you. I pray that we would discover what it means to really have hope in our lives. God, I pray for those that are here that would call themselves Christians, but they recognize maybe they've lost hope. Maybe they've been meditating on the wrong things in their lives and they have become weary. I just pray strength. I pray your Holy Spirit would begin to transform their thinking, transform their heart. And I pray that you would inspire hope in us like never before. Help us to meditate on the right things. Help us to remember how good you are. Help us to remember the times that you have rescued us, that you have showed up, that you have done what no one else could do. Remind us of that. And I pray that that would give us new life, give us strength to to wait a little longer, to trust you a little more. So God, minister in us. Now, with nobody looking around, with your head bowed and your eyes closed, if you'd say to me today, Mel, I'm not really serving God. I recognize that that I need a savior. I wanna surrender to the Lordship of Jesus today. I'm not gonna embarrass you. I'm not not gonna make you come forward. I just wanna pray with you. So if you'd say to me, Mel, I wanna be included in this final prayer, would you be bold enough to slip your hand up real high where I can see it? And you can put it right back down. If you'd say, Mel, include me in that prayer. I wanna surrender my life to Christ today. Yeah, thanks on my left, I see you. Thank you, yeah, thank you on my right, I see you. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Who else? Just a few more seconds, wanna join these and say, Mel, pray for me. Today's my day. Yeah, thank you on my right. Yeah, thank you on my far right. Praise the Lord. The book of Romans tells us if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. So I just wanna say a simple prayer with you. I want you to say this out loud with your mouth, but I want you to mean it from the core of your being. I don't want you to say it just mindlessly like a robot. I want you to say this from your heart. So pray this prayer with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for saving me by sending your son to pay the penalty for my sins on the cross. Forgive me of my sin. From now on, use me for your glory. Fill me with hope and help me share hope with others. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can we give God a round of applause for what he's done in this place? Thank you, Lord. Listen, if you prayed that prayer and you meant it, whether you raised your hand or not, you're a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. We'd love to help you take the next step in your faith journey. And the simplest thing for you to do would be to simply text Summit PA to the number 94,000. 
If you would, let us know about your decision. We're gonna help you take the next step in your faith journey. Uh, if you'd prefer, you can take the car to the seat back in front of you, take it to our info center, give it to them, and they're gonna help you take the next step in your faith journey. They got a new Bible they wanna give you to help you get started. So thank you for the decision you've made. I believe it's the greatest choice you've ever made in your entire life. It's gonna change everything. Here's what's gonna happen now. Um, Pastor Kendall's gonna lead us in one more song. He's ironically enough gonna lead, Oh Holy Night. But this is what we're gonna do. We're gonna sing, and if maybe you struggle to sing along, it's a harder song. This is what I want you to do. I want you just to meditate on what God has spoken to you today. I want you to ask God, how do I apply this to my life? What does this look like in, in my everyday life? And let the Holy Spirit show you that. And while we're singing, our prayer team is gonna be here at the front of this room. And they're here to pray with you no matter what your need may be. So I wanna encourage you as we begin to sing, step out from your seat, find one of our prayer team members, let them agree with you in prayer. And even as we're dismissed in a moment, our team is gonna be available. And if you need prayer as we're dismissed, please make your way forward and let us, let us pray with you. Uh, stand to your feet all over the room. Let's worship together one more time before we go. I tell you guys often, but I hope you know it. I love you more than you know, and I am so glad that I get to be your pastor. God bless you guys. Have a great day.